The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Nice to have you along for episode 19 of The Boys of Tech. Hosting the show, I'm Edwin Herman and Brett King. Welcome, Brett. Howdy. Or should that be welcome back? Indeed, indeed. It has been a couple of weeks. Yes, you've been two weeks off with a very bad throat, I understand. Indeed. Had a, yeah, sounded like John Wayne. Wasn't good. <laughs> hey, we, I, I could have done a show like that. It would have sounded cool. <laughs> well, yes, I sounded like John Wade for all the five minutes before I sounded like nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I understand the doctors even said that you need to take a rest. Mm-hmm. With the voice had to stop speaking, which was difficult. I am quite verbose. <laughs> it's difficult to do a podcast uh, without speaking, that's for sure. Mm. All right, so we'll get into our stories before your voice disappears, just in case. Indeed. All right, the first uh, story uh, for this week is Microsoft is basically shifting its advertising focus from anti-Apple ads to promoting its own new search technology called Bing. Hmm, interesting one, that. Yeah, they reckon Bing is going to be it. It's going to be a Google killer. (laughs) I don't think so, but they they can dream, I guess. It's supposed to work differently, though, isn't it? It's supposed to work differently. It's supposed to have a whole heap of different filter options. Um, the reviews that I've seen, that I've read so far about it, have that it's it's basically its regular search is very much the same as any sort of regular search. They haven't really changed the look and feel very much from Microsoft's current search engine offering. But where it does make quite a is quite different is the way that when you do the not text searches, you know, image searches, etc. Yep. And yeah, apparently the way that it presents the information, presents those things is, is quite different. And we'll see how it stacks up against those new features which Google was offering for their new way of displaying image searches and things as well. So it'll be interesting to see what it looks like. Yeah, that's true. Because Bing Microsoft- finally releases. Yeah, Microsoft do seem confident that uh, that they can take on Google and that, you know... That, I think well, they are spending, you know, they have earmarked, what is it, between 80 and 100 million to yeah. um, launch this new Bing search engine That's a lot and of advertising dollars. for it. Yeah. Uh, whereas what Google spends like 25 million on all of its advertising for all of its stuff. That's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's number it's, one. It's, it's quite a big difference, but then they do spend a, a chunk of... Google spends a chunk of its money on advertising to recruit new people. And, you know, the, some of the latest Microsoft news is that they're laying off people. So it'll be very interesting. <laughs> yeah, actually, there was a side story, too, about uh, Apple stealing some of the uh, Xbox people from Microsoft, which is, <laughs> you know, uh, which really fuels the rumor of Apple getting into the gaming business. But anyway, coming, uh, <clears throat> that's a, a little side thing. So dr- coming back to the main story. It's, it will be interesting because uh, they've what they've done is also gone away from the traditional Microsoft branding. You, you know, but they've they were very much Microsoft Live and Microsoft yep. this, and now it's just Bing, and it's it's almost you could be forgiven for thinking it's actually not Microsoft. 
Indeed, indeed. And unless you see the Microsoft logo on there or you know about it, you might just think it's Bing is a – yeah. Well, I think they're at something like 8%, I think, of the search uh, uh, search market. Uh, Yahoo is second at 20 and Google is first, uh, not surprisingly, at 64 so mm-hmm. they've got a lot of work to do. If if this is going to work, uh, they you know it's 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 not a it's not an easy feat. Put it no, out. no, it's not an easy feat. All right. Well, I guess the true test will be uh, whether you and I start binging instead of googling. In Indeed. <laughs> we'll keep you posted. Binging. <laughs> Sounds like a network protocol. Uh, maybe that's Indeed. or something. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Moving along. <laughs> Uh, this is an interesting one. Basically, some researchers have found, this is in Poland, by the way, some researchers have found how to sneak traffic onto the internet. Uh, to, to give you a little bit more detail of what this is about, is we're talking about sneaking little bits of code inside the TCP packets. And the way it's done is that, as you may know, with TCP, every now and again a packet gets lost or, or just corrupted and disappears. And so... The, the other end that's expecting to receive it says, oh, I, I've, I've missed number 42 or whatever it is. Can you please send that one again? And so the server sends it down again. Now, they've taken advantage of this by creating fake packet lost scenarios where the receiving server has to ask for another one. But inside this extra packet that comes is little uh, hidden code. And using that as your underlying base transport, you can actually transmit messages uh, very much secretly across the mm. internet. Yeah. It, even a careful eavesdropper would be hard-pressed to find that you're using this sort of, uh, you know, steganography because even though the second packet that is sent is different than the first packet, that's usually the case anyway for a for a corrupted packet or a missed packet. It's, it's going to be different. So there's nothing you can... Yeah, there's nothing you can really look for unless they come up, you know, the reverse engineers come up with a way of automatically identifying whether or not something really has been put in there. But yeah, it's it's an interesting way of secretly hiding a little bit of text or a little bit of something in there. It's pretty cunning, really. And I, I like the way they've looked at taking something that happens anyway you know it, it's just yep, inherent all the time TCP. constantly everything is built off it in fact, everything's built off tcp in fact <laughs> brett isn't it true that our listeners right now listening to us on the internet have had packets lost from this from this uh, very podcast and they've been resent right yep it's what is it on average about one in a thousand or so one in a thousand packets, packets gets lost yeah. or corrupted and has to be re-requested very sneaky mm. do we need to be worried that this could get into the wrong hands why? Really, why? Because you can encrypt stuff anyway, right? So what's Well, indeed, you can encrypt and have secret yeah. chats and do all sorts of stuff anyway. There's no need to worry about something you getting into their hands. <laughs> so this is just a different They're method. already coming up, ways, coming up with ways to do stuff. So. Right. so they can already get messages out there from A to indeed. B without C intercepting, right? Yeah, I don't yeah. see there being any reason to yeah be worried about um, this sort of ability to secretly chat with somebody getting into the wrong hands it is what you wouldn't want in the wrong hands would be the ability to automatically determine that somebody has got a secret chat going on getting into the wrong hands 
because imagine if the ability to automatically tell whether or not something was being hidden in TCP was in criminals' hands and that, you know, legitimate agencies, government agencies, all that sort of stuff were using this sort of thing for their own in-house right. you know, secret messages. But then they it's can the ability to detect yeah. it that you don't want in the bad people's hands. <laughs> True. That's, that's, uh, that's a sensible way of looking at it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. Couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> Alrighty, the uh, <laughs> you may have heard of. I'm laughing because it's, it's. I find this a little funny, really, although a little sad at the same time. Uh, a woman in Sydney, you may have heard about this, has claimed on YouTube that ha- she witnessed a shooting, and this is, I think, a, a real crime, isn't it, Brett? That took place. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a a real crime in Sydney somewhere, and yeah. I, I, the police were investigating this shooting and then this young lady was interviewed on Channel 9 News outside King's Cross and as you said it was rebroadcast on YouTube saying yeah saying that she had witnessed it and then the police interviewed her and no no she did not <laughs> and yeah that's where we got to with this so why did why why did she say she did do you think i don't know maybe she's just a little off in the head. Maybe she wanted to be the spotlight, you know, the center of attention for a moment. Because this is all over YouTube now, this interview. Oh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. It was posted on YouTube, had, you know, like several hundred thousand people watching the video, sharing her account of the incident. And apparently there, you know, shortly afterwards, the, the marketers started to cash in on it and phrases that she used in the broadcast started to become emblazoned on tele- t-shirts which were available on the web on on the internet so <laughs> but, but did, did she post the story to the to youtube herself or was it i'm not sure not sure if she posted it herself if she did then what a dork but <laughs> maybe somebody else posted it but either way it was pretty stupid to claim on a news program because she was interviewed on an actual news program yeah, true. Well, yeah, she'd seen true. it and that was just a stupid thing to do you don't do that sort of thing now what if what if she was one what if she was creating a work of fiction deliberately is that, is that not you're allowed to create a work of fiction you're allowed to create it a wasn't work the of police. fiction, sure. It wasn't an official statement. It wasn't the police. It's um, She was creating a work of fiction without publicizing that it was a work of fiction on a news broadcast for an ongoing police investigation. So police would then obviously divert some of their time and resources to interviewing this supposed eyewitness and tracking her down and following up whatever leads that she gives only to discover that it was completely and utterly bogus. And, yeah, and they've just wasted all of that time and resource following a fake lead to an ongoing investigation. It was a stupid thing to do. What about the War War of the Worlds, though? Remember that? And people thought that was real, and there was this mass panic that took place. Yeah, and had those people tuned in at the beginning when it was quite obvious a the beginning of a radio show these are the the people who caused a panic were people who tuned in partway through the beginning of it because right at the beginning when it flicks over it was relatively obviously i've actually listened to that one so it wasn't that difficult to choose but then it is part of that paranoia and they did get in trouble for it 
where I'm going with this is is that you know is this is this going to make it difficult for people to create works of fiction now? Do they have to be very careful what they say, or is this a clear cut situation no. where you just don't? It's a, it's a clear cut situation. This but is not some, This is it's different this because it's a real news story, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, this is if I wanted to write a story about this shooting, there's nothing stopping me from doing that. And I could publish it if it was any good. As that's that's not the issue here. She wasn't creating a work of fiction. She was saying that she was the witness to something that she wasn't. So she was she was looking Ongoing for attention. Police. Yeah, she yeah. was looking for attention. That's it. It's a clear case of she was looking for attention and she's gotten it. And it's whether or not she gets, you know, prosecuted for wasting police time. And she that's should what be, they right? do for people who ring nine one one. If you ring 911 for the wrong thing, you get prosecuted. If you, you know, cry wolf to the police for something which is a lie, you get prosecuted. So hopefully she gets prosecuted for it and it will deter other people. So do, if this was different, let's say she was pretending to uh, be interviewed by some media and she said she witnessed a shooting, but she didn't refer to any particular real life event. Would that have been okay? It depends on whether or not it was, you know, portrayed as being a reality thing or if it was portrayed as being a work of fiction. If it was obviously a work of fiction, then there's no problem with it. Why would anybody have a problem with that? It might be a good story. But if it's portrayed too much as a work of fact, then you right. start getting so- to some weird areas there so you want to make sure that your audience understand it's a work of fiction and that it's there for entertainment if you don't want to get in trouble (laughs) but in her case if you do want to get in trouble then yeah yeah. fine (laughs) quite happily make up whatever story you want and say that it's true right but she definitely wasn't doing that right because she was commenting on a real story interviewed by a real television network she was interviewed by a real television news network commenting on a real story a real ongoing police investigation that was her mistake, wasn't it? That was her mistake. Alrighty, Facebook is selling a almost 2% stake for 200 million US dollars to a Russian internet firm. Hmm. It's good money if you can make it, I guess. 2%, is that a big stake? I don't think it's a big stake. It's bigger than what Microsoft has in it. They've only got a 1.6 stake, but... It's they've gotten a bigger stake for less money than Microsoft. Yeah, paid. that's interesting because Microsoft <laughs> bought one point six percent for two hundred and forty million, and these Russian guys are buying one point nine six percent for only two hundred million. So how does, that value, think, how does that value Facebook? Well, what I think is the most interesting thing of that is the fact that when you extrapolate that two hundred million from <laughs> from one point nine six percent, you get to the, the value of Facebook at being like ten billion dollars. Is, is it really actually, worth ten billion? I don't think it's worth ten billion dollars, but, but but it is a, everything it, internet seems to be overvalued really. Yeah, well that's true. Yeah, that's true. But having said that, do you agree though that it does have a lot of value? Oh, it's got a lot of value. It's, it's, it's a, a big, it's a big source of income for a whole heap of people. Well, it's, it'd be a great marketing tool as well. That's the thing. You you know... Well, you can tailor the marketing. Yeah, you can. Yeah. yeah. And, and with you- the API and with all the stuff that's out there, if you are if you ever use Facebook, you know, you, you, all you need is one friend to decide they want to fill in a quiz <laughs> and, and then send it out to all of their friends and those friends decide what the hell I'll fill in the quiz. Because when you're saying you're going to, you know, do any of those 
Facebook quizzes or any of the give your friends eggs or, you know, presents and yada, 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 the little online apps, every time you install them, you are agreeing to turn over access to your profile and all of its information to that app and hence the creators of that app. So it's a huge source of marketing potential. Yeah. Um, just one thing, for, for someone who doesn't use Facebook, and I know there aren't many of us around these days, what does it mean to give someone an egg? That just sounds really weird. Oh, you know, it's like a little, at Easter time, you can send them vir- send people virtual eggs by installing one of the uh, several different virtual egg apps. Oh, little virtual gift apps. Okay. Right, okay, got gotcha. And then you, yeah, you'll, you know, you create revenue for the creator of the app by looking at the ads or by filling in the questionnaires, which give you more points, which allow you to buy more eggs to send to more people, sorts of things. I'll have to get into this Facebook uh, thing at one, at one point. Oh, I'm indeed. I'm, I'm completely surprised that Boys of Tech doesn't have a Facebook well, well, we look. We should. We and we should. You know what we should do as well. We should have a Twitter page as well. We should, re- we should reserve some of those names now before this show goes goes out. Uh, Indeed, because someone else will. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we don't want to be paying a squatter for our own name. No, that's that's true. <laughs> At least we got the d- domain name boysoftech.com and also theboysoftech.com. So anyway, uh, so that's uh, 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 Facebook. Gosh, I'm getting mixed up now between Twitter and Facebook. That is Facebook. But uh, the next story is about Twitter, in fact, and that's why I'm getting mixed up. The story is that Twitter plans to charge users, and that's how it's going to make some money. Yeah, but (laughs) I thought the most interesting thing about that was that during the entire conference talk that the the co-founders of Twitter did, they didn't give any real firm idea as to what it was that users would be paying for. All they said is that we'd like to make some money and we're thinking of some way to do it, maybe a form or something that allows you, you can fill it in and give us money for doing something and we're working on something right now, but they never really throughout the entire time <laughs> that they were asking questions, answering questions, they never gave a very clear picture of what Twitter's business model was going to be, other than the fact that they want to make some revenue. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see what they do because uh, I'm a Twitter user, but I don't think I'm going to pay. It's going to have to be something pretty good for me to fork out some, some dollars, and, you know? Indeed. Maybe they'll come up with some sort of premium service. What they have said is they're not going to do ads. They, they said, we're over ads. We're not doing ads. Uh, that's not the way we're going to make money. So whatever it is, well, they think it's the, the, probably the, they could do it, but that's probably the least interesting thing they could do. So they're probably going to look at something else, which might mean some sort of premium service. But who knows what sort of form that a premium Twitter service would take. Yeah, it's... Uh, well, that's, that's going to be the, the challenge for them is to come up with something that's, that's got some value to people because, you know, without creating value, you're not going to – you're not going to get the and seeing as mm. tweets and everything like that are currently free and if you switch to making people pay for them, you just see people leave. And what you want is you don't want people to leave. You want people to convert to your pay service. So you've got to leave <laughs> – it's a tricky one. I, I don't, yeah, I'm not quite sure how it's going to go, but. Uh. Mm, mm. And from the sounds of their um, talk, the Twitter founders don't really know where they're going to go yet either. No, that's Or right. they're being very tight lipped about it. Yeah. Could be the latter. 
Which you would think would be quite odd for the people who run Twitter. You would think that they'd be tweeting about all of their different decisions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I guess I've been in business long enough to know that that doesn't make sense. But anyway, uh, Microsoft is confirming a new Zoom HD. It's a new device that uh, people have said is, is somewhat iPod Touch-like. It's in the sense that it's got a, a, a it's touch got a touch screen. Yep, and it's, everything seems to have a touch screen yeah, these days. It does, and yeah. everything seems to be supporting some kind of multi-touch <laughs> interface these days. Mm. This this Zoom is is really something else. It's it's not your old brown classic iPod copy type thing that everyone was doing. This is you know. Yeah, um, and it's not your cheap plastic piece of no junk no, it really looks quite nice i have to say yeah. it does look nice I, I i think this this really gives it an air of coolness you know this is uh, i think before and that is something the zoom was seriously lacking <laughs> yeah it was it was microsoft actually reckoned that the built-in radio tuner that it's going to have is uh, is actually a a distinguishing feature that's going to drive sales and you know it's one of the things the ipod doesn't have so, well, indeed, and because, and the fact that they're introducing a high definition radio tuner to pick up HD radio that's that's something, you know. Yeah, this that's um, they reckon it'll make you know could make the difference, and uh, you know they're hoping to attract uh, new new people to the device that way. Yeah, yeah, uh, you'll be able to do all of this. Well, most of the stuff you can do on an iPod, watch movies, listen to the listen to music. You'll be able to listen to the as you said, the radio, surf the web. What I thought was a little bit of a disappointment there was the fact that they're using a customized version of Internet Explorer to deliver the web interface for their Zoom. As opposed to? Something better. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, I'm with you now. Yeah, yeah look, I, I don't know. It's uh, you know, Microsoft have got two catch-up games to play now. They've got the, the Bing versus Google. They've got the Zoom versus iPod uh, race as well. Mm-hmm. So they're they're really uh, they're really putting a lot of effort into into trying to mm. get, get back up the ladder or just Indeed, get up the ladder. In I these, say. Yeah, yeah, to compete in these in these many varied markets that Microsoft has branched out into. They're, they're uh, what I thought hard. was one hmm? that's, that's going to be hard for Microsoft. I mean, if you go back say ten, fifteen years, you know, it was an operating system, and that was pretty much all they had. Yeah, uh, and, and you know it was reasonably easy to compete in the market. Well, at least you know once you got the critical mass, you know that was it, and away you went, and it snowballed. Yep. But now it's 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 going to be really tough for poor old Microsoft out there. <laughs> indeed, indeed, they've got their fingers in all these different markets, and they're 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 trying to do their best in each of them. They're trying to be you know as competitive as Microsoft, the operating system giant, was. Um, in these different markets, which have much more entrenched players, but they're giving it a go. One of the things which I thought was going to be interesting about this new Zoom launch was at the same time, they're going to be launching a update to the Xbox Live marketplace for TVs and movies and changing that to be a Zoom branded video service instead of the Xbox Live marketplace. Right, so the two will be compatible? So the two will be compatible. They're trying to bring out that whole that whole um, live marketplace stuff for the Zune so that even when you're on the Xbox and you go to that thing, it'll be all Zune branded. So it'll, you know, trying to get that Zune label in the face of their huge Xbox audience. Um, and, and, and so they, they get a lot more and, converts that way. Yeah, and, and so they so should be doing good, this. It's a very good choice for that. 
that, that was kind of something you would have expected right from day one. I mean, well, indeed, it, it, it is. It is a lot of um, Microsoft does suffer from the habit of its individual little houses for its individual little branches don't really seem to be talking too much to each other no, and saying no. how can our house our different branches and our different products from our different branches interact with each other and work together to further the goal of Microsoft and further the goal of each of our brands. Yeah, that's, that's Instead, a they have suffered a lot of <laughs> the, the Xbox people do their stuff the Xbox way and the Zoom people yep. <laughs> do their stuff the Zoom way and the, the twain that could happily work together don't because they haven't talked about it and they didn't exactly. think of that. But now they are and hopefully it will be a... Um, a trend in the future of their different parts actually talking to each other so they can leverage their their plays leverage the power they've got in their in their brand and in their markets so and try and use the the you know the one to support the other instead of leaving them hanging like they <laughs> like the poor zoom was when it first launched it was kind of on its own really wasn't it and it-, it was it was and it was it, admittedly it was quite you know, Brown? <laughs> weird. It was, they re- really didn't think of, they, well, they were very much in their DRM mindset there. Yes, yes. They protect the copyrights, protect the things. <laughs> yeah, and the, you know, the, the joke about the Brown is, is because, you know, they, they got a lot of flack for, for bringing out a Brown music player that just wasn't a nice color for a player. So, so people see it anyway. Yeah, brown. Crikey. <laughs> really? It's not really the end colour at the moment, but hey, it might come back into vogue one day. Who knows? Oh, indeed. But then you yeah, have to admit that the, the Zune HD, its silvery colour is kind of a, you know, a, a tanny sort of silver. Yeah, you know, looking at the photo, uh, you're yeah, right. The there is coming through that silvery colour. Yes, there are <laughs> some brown the undertones. Yeah, indeed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's their way of sticking, sticking it, it to yeah. those who, who made fun of the brown colour. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we still have our brown. <laughs> Alright, Google is uh, playing around with HTML5 which means that they've built a proof of concept YouTube site that doesn't require any browser plugins because HTML5 has uh, special uh, media tags that take care of that. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be kind of neat. You know, I've been looking at HTML5 for a while. Uh, unfortunately, not a lot out there supports it, but no, it, not a lot. Uh, it's going to be really good when it comes out because you know you can just write code that embeds all sorts of different types of media, not just JPEGs and GIFs. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we're talking you know video based media and audio based media as well and the browsers you know once they become html5 compliant will simply be able to understand that natively and you don't need to have these flash player components loading and these uh shockwave bits you know and uh and also silverlight as well actually you know although flash and silverlight do have other advantages as well like uh you know different interactivity and stuff but yep. in terms of you know video and audio you those those two technologies really don't necessarily need to to be there as plugins anymore yep so that that's where that's where things are going and uh kind of makes sense for for Google to be looking at that because uh they they've got the the leading video site on the internet YouTube Yep, yep. And yeah, it's it's uh, very interesting of Google taking the stand that's, you know, pushing forward with a proof of concept HTML5 
websites and pushing for developers to be working on HTML5 content specifically instead of, you know, just looking at their producing a Chrome, a version of Chrome, which handles HTML5 and pushing the web browser builders to create HTML5. Because it's all very well having a compatible browser, which is allow, you know, can render HTML5. But if the people who create and support all of the web pages which currently exist don't take advantage of HTML5, then <laughs> what's the point? Because you're right. In, in the past, it's been very much a chicken and egg scenario that, you know, the developers wouldn't take on new technologies if they're not supported. But, you know, for browsers to start supporting the stuff, you know, unless it's out there, they're not going to really bother, especially with Internet Explorer that, you know, they were very complacent with that for a long time because uh, they didn't need to, you know, they were the number one browser. Uh, they didn't need to really... You know, Indeed, they didn't need to embrace the new, the new web no. technologies. They could sit on their laurels because they were number one and people who wrote for Internet Explorer, websites for Internet Explorer, didn't want to have to rewrite them for something else. So this is this is this is a good thing, and you know, you know what we should do as well is when HTML5 uh, gets out there a little bit more and is supported by mm-hmm. you know you know at least uh, the popular browsers, I think we should do the new Boys of Tech site HTML5, yeah, embedded audio. Mm. Yes, yes. Because at the moment we've got a, a Flash player that that plays uh, you know stuff off the website, but uh, we could embed that directly. So we'll we'll have to do that as well, but not not anytime soon. No, no, it's still it's still in its infancy as HTML5. Absolutely, yep. All right, the EU is suing Sweden. What, you might think? Yeah, well, uh, the, you see, Sweden don't uh, have a law at the moment that requires ISPs to hold on to logs. And in fact, there is one ISP in Sweden that isn't logging data from its users. And the fact that, the, uh, that Sweden doesn't have this law apparently is... Uh, in breach of the EU law. And of course, Sweden's a member. So the EU is now suing Sweden over that. Uh, Indeed, they are. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's an an interesting scenario we have here because, as you said, the EU passed their data retention directive in like 2006 and it required that all EU member states implement some form of data retention legislation, which meant you know which stated that isps and search engines and that sort of thing had to retain data for a minimum of six months and like from six months to two years and sweden mm, still hasn't introduced anything like that though they have said that they are going to (laughs) they just haven't gotten around to it yet that's that's a bizarre situation it is a bizarre situation (laughs) In fact, you know, when I, re- when I read the headline, I thought, no, no, there's a mistake here. The EU does not sue a member state. <laughs> but yes, it does. In Indeed, it yeah, yes, that was not <laughs> that was not a misprint. That was, in fact, correct. The EU has sued Sweden. So, do do you think it's a good idea having these laws that require ISPs to be logging? Is this, that's sensible, is it not? It's it's sensible. It's it doesn't protect people's privacy and anonymity on the internet and all that sort of jazz. But when you really look down into it, they're wanting to be able to use it for, you know, for police investigations, for instance, to find cybercrime, fight cybercrime, 
yada 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 and as long as it's not a misused sort of thing as we've seen some attempts to illegally wiretap or illegally attain information in america some cases have come up in those sorts of things where it was all done illegally if it's properly controlled then i don't see any reason why not why there shouldn't be some form of data retention privacy advocates and anonymity advocates will be up in arms about it of course because they don't like the fact that anybody could six months down the line you know well you know within six months down the line find out that they were reading you know women's weekly online <laughs> from their mother's computer but no, well, that, that isp in in sweden was uh, you know, apparently had quite a number of people who used to use the BitTorrents because they knew they weren't logging exactly so exactly that was, kind of, that was kind of the anonymous access in a way yeah, yeah. And that's apparently going to come to an end uh, because, uh, you know, Sweden obviously has to comply to the to the EU directives. That, Indeed, uh, you know, they being did a sign state. up for it. Mm. <laughs> yep. so, and they agreed to it when it was their data retention directive was passed. They just haven't gotten around to it yet. What I thought was the interesting thing about it was that the, the EC, with their data retention directive, now has it – it's illegal to get rid of it too quickly – user data but it's illegal to hang on to it too long <laughs> so, so like there's a minimum yeah. amount of time that you must hold it for and there's a maximum amount of time that you can hold it for and both of them are part, are part of european commission law <laughs> so what they're saying is so, you must log stuff but but hey don't hold on to it too long because that's illegal too <laughs> indeed it's you've got to hold on to it long enough that it could be used in police action well, for investigative purposes, for law enforcement, but you can't hold on to it for too long because it's a breach of privacy. Oh, goodness me. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it does kind of make sense. I can understand where that, you know, it's just, you get into these oh, funny indeed, situations. Indeed. And it, you can see how, you know, short-term holding on to it would help law enforcement to do investigations into yeah. cyber cybercrime, you know, oh, all that sure. sort of thing, mm. bank fraud, those sorts of, you know, Nigerian scams, those things. But holding on for it too long is like you don't want to it to come back in five years' time that, you know, five years ago when you weren't working, you were constantly looking at your competitors, your now competitors' site, and so somebody then decides that that's wrong when they discover it five years down the track. You don't want that stuff hanging around. There's no point. Well, they're getting sued, these guys. This country is getting sued. It, it, to me, I still can't get my head around the fact that... A, They've um, just been dragging their heels on it. It's like the, the, the head of their justice ministry or, or whoever it is who's involved in creating this legislation, I think it's the head of their justice ministry, just hasn't gotten around to it because they've had other things to do. They knew that this was or, coming, right? Well, they knew it was yeah. coming. They probably just didn't think that the EC would ever actually sue them. <laughs> well, here we have it. Exactly. <laughs> that probably just as surprises we are, to tell you the truth. Mm. All right, Brett, we're celebrating a birthday this week. And it is the, <laughs> here we go, let's cue in the music. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Celebrating Cobol's 50th birthday. Yay. Oh, happy, happy birthday, birthday Cobol! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, sorry, what's Cobol? 
Turtle's a programming language. Jeez, everybody knows that. (laughs) It's a programming language that you need a a, a 90-year-old man to program for you. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely right. Well, you know, they do say that it's actually not as dead as we think it is. You know, they they reckon, on average, in in Britain, each person uses or interacts with COBOL applications at least 10 times a day. Well, it wouldn't surprise me. Can you imagine how many things in the business and, you know, the um, finance industry and manufacturing industry were created 50 years ago in COBOL when it was brand spanky, shiny, new and the, you know, the it programming language of its day. And they became a, a, a core business tool. And once you've become a core business tool, you've got to be supported because you can't just make a switch, can you? Not for something that might have been rolled out to hundreds of or thousands of different users to use your particular database, your particular application. And the amount of time and effort spent creating something brand new, which can be easily supported, is probably more than is required to keep your aging COBOL programmer <laughs> on <laughs> on call to fix up and update the current app. Well, you know, you're not far wrong. Apparently, COBOL programmers do command a high price because they're hard to come by. No, they are indeed. Yeah, you can make good money with, you know, programming COBOL. Or yeah, in, in because you will be called on by some big name companies to come in and fix, fix up their <laughs> yeah. core architecture, their core applications. We're in the wrong business, were, we're in the wrong business Brett. We should be doing COBOL instead. Oh, indeed, indeed. We should we should have learned COBOL instead of Java and yeah. <laughs> and C. <laughs> if we'd learned COBOL, we would be in the minority and didn't demand. Be hard to find a job, but when you do, you get lots of money for it. So, oh, indeed. Mm. And with all of the people who are who know COBOL, you know, people who learned COBOL when it first going out. Those people would all be starting to head to retirement. So a yeah, new wave yeah. of people who need to know COBOL should be coming online so that they can take the um, retirees' positions. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should encourage <laughs> some some recent graduates, or well, not recent graduates, rather, so prospective university students to to go into a COBOL programming course, and and if you can find one, that is. indeed, <laughs> or you know, self teach yourself COBOL. Yeah. It's, it, it's still out there. It's still needed, and you can charge a lot for your time. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. And apparently, you know, apparently there, there are two hundred times as many COBOL transactions as there are Google searches every day. <laughs> Would so, not it's, it's actually at all. hard to believe. But then, I guess, like you said, the, the banking sector, the finance Indeed. sector, you know, does, core, does, uses it a core lot. Core applications yeah. in a whole heap of big industries are COBOL applications. They might have a nifty new, you know, Java or C++ front end, but the core thing that does all of the <laughs> all the business is still the COBOL application that was written 30 years ago. I, I think I'm entirely COBOL free. I don't think our web... Does, do you think our website has any COBOL code there somewhere? Uh, don't know. Probably not. Probably not depends on who our provider is but i'm sure at some point along the trans along the path to the end user that something with cobol will right yeah we'll be in it'll either go through something which has cobol on it or go past something which has cobol on it (laughs) well 
There we go. That was, that's happy birthday to Cobol. 50 years young this week. That was on Thursday, actually. 50 years young on Thursday, last week. Oh, good, good. All right, and that's the week that was in the international stories. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about our one New Zealand story. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to talk about our one New Zealand story for the week, and that is that Vodafone is giving away, effectively, $1 million worth of airtime. Sounds good. Sounds very good. Did if you, you happen us? to be one of the lucky 1,000 customers who were affected by interference... So they've done, done a draw, haven't they, out of 1,000 yep. customers that have been affected a, by... A random draw of a thousand customers out of the population of customers who were affected by the network interference they had previously, and so they get a thousand dollars worth of airtime each. That's kind of cool. That's something. It's That's like, very cool. It is very cool, and I think uh, it's well. It's speculation is that it's something to do with the uh, the out of court settlement. Hmm. Could be. They're all. Very, everybody's very hush-hush on the out-of-court settlement for there, yes. other than that telecom has indeed installed the filters that they should have in the first place, if you ask me, but they have. And what I thought was the one of the interesting things about this was the timing of it. People will be notified. Well, they have to check the, the website to see whether or not they are one of the 1,000, I believe. And the time that they do that is the day before the launch of um, XT. Ah, so what's a bet? There's going to be a hot offer on that website. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, get this phone and sign up to Vodafone's 3G network. They're going to entice them away from the XT launch and that's what they're going to do. Indeed, it's, it's about keeping the people, keeping the customers with Vodafone yep. and not letting them get tempted away by Telecom's XT. Are you going to go Telecom? Uh, no, Vodafone's through me well. You're on 3G, right? Yes. You're getting good speeds? Yep. You know, if I was choosing right now, it's kind of hard. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat more loyal to Vodafone than I am Telecom, but this XT stuff sounds really good, or is it just hype? Well, no, no, it'll be pretty good. Is it, is it, it, do you know whether it's better than what Vodafone has got? How do they compare the two 3G offerings? I I would say they probably compare pretty well. As an on par yeah. with each other, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That's what I would expect anyway. All right. Well, I haven't really looked into it thoroughly. Well, at the moment, Vodafone do have the slightly larger uh, piece of the pie, uh, Vod- uh, and Telecom have a well, slightly do. smaller piece. It'll they have had 3G for a long time. Well, yes, that, that and, is true. And this is Telecom's first foray into it, so they are definitely the... the the ones pulling up behind, finally jumping into the three G world. Well, I, I, I'm going to keep an eye on the on the um, market share because uh, it'll be interesting to see whether that swings a little bit more in Telecom's favour. I'm, I'm betting. You know, I think I actually think Vodafone, uh, Telecom might overtake Vodafone. They might do. They might do. You think? Mo- well, you'd expect most of the tele- current Telecom um, mobile customers to switch over to XT. Yeah, they will. They'll stay, yeah. It's, it's better. So you'd think most of them would. But they'll be um, some switches and as then, well, won't they? Yeah, whether or not it can pull any of Vodafone's customers away will be will be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what sort of deals and it starts to offer to try and bring people across. 
Yeah, and the third part of the market you haven't mentioned is the is the new entrance as well. Because I suspect if if you were you know a teenager or well actually these days it's almost teenager uh, getting phones these days, and if you're considering a phone. With all this hype over the XT network, you may well just consider a, a telecom oh, phone right now. And, and they've got, you know, they've got they've got the hamster. They got Richard Hammond from Top Gear <laughs> <laughs> as their spokesperson for the XT network. So, <laughs> oh, now actually, you, got you need to cool there. you need to see uh, Bruce Simpson's parody on that. He's done a little mashup of of the. It's a parody of the ad. I shouldn't really give it away, but uh, it's on YouTube. Do a search on Telecom XT mashup video on on youtube and and you'll see it it's very funny (laughs) i'll have to do that all right that concludes this week's boys of tech episode 19 is pretty much wrapped up thank you very much for coming back brett with your voice Uh, always a pleasure um, i'll see you again next week you will indeed it it, yeah i gotta say it wasn't the same without you it really wasn't (laughs) i could only say half the stuff I, i i normally do Indeed, it was it was a lot shorter without me. It was, <laughs> and it was a lot less interesting too. I'll tell you that. Alrighty, okay. Thank you very much, everyone, everyone, for joining us for episode nineteen of the Boys of Tech, and we'll be back for episode twenty next week. Bye bye.